Welcome to another episode of Bible Center with Victor Jackson. I'm so thankful that each of you came to join me today. I pray that uh, this podcast has been a blessing to you. Uh, thank you for bearing with me as I was uh, sick the past two weeks. I'm excited to start off your Monday morning in the Word of God uh, once again. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 10 and verse 1. We had tremendous services at Bible Center of Orlando yesterday uh, for our English service at 10, our Spanish service at 1230, and our campus in Claremont at 3.30. God has been doing some amazing things in the Orlando area, and I'm super excited about it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as ye go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics, or sandals, or staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Um, I'm excited to get into this. Um, first off, Matthew is writing to the Jews to persuade them that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah that they have been waiting on, that he is the new Moses. Um, a Moses that does not lead the people out of Egypt, but leads them out of sin. And we discussed earlier in the episodes that it is more difficult to deliver someone out of the bondage of sin than to deliver them out of the bondage of Egypt. Uh, for Pharaoh hurt the slaves in Egypt, the Israelites, he would bruise them, he would whip them, but he wouldn't whip them to the point 
where he devalued his property. So they would whip them not to destroy them, but to make them submit to them. Uh, but sin, the bondage of sin is, is way worse and way more difficult to come out of because uh, sin, the wages of sin is death. Sin is literally trying to kill you. It's not just trying to make profit out of you. It's trying to destroy you. And I'm so thankful that, that the new Moses, Jesus Christ, came to deliver the world out of the bondage of sin. And because of the first Adam, death has passed upon all men. But because of the second Adam, Jesus Christ, grace and righteousness has passed upon all men. And Matthew is presenting this Messiah as the, the, the new Moses, the Emmanuel, God with us. And this has been a beautiful journey. I want to go to verse 1. It says, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. We talked about it last week about how he literally tells them to pray, pray for more laborers. And the next verse, the Bible says that he sent them out where you become the answer to, to God's prayer requests. He says, listen, I want you to pray that the Lord of the harvest sent forth laborers. And listen, he is the Lord of the harvest and he's sending forth laborers and he gives them power because of relationship he gives them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease there was something that was imparted into them from their close proximity to jesus this is before, remember, he commanded them not to fast in chapter 9. Now, notice that they are casting out devils even though they're not fasting. And the, the, the thing about it is relationship supersedes any form of um, uh, ritualistic or um, liturgical uh, disciplines. Um, this is what the Pharisees were doing. They were fasting. They were they were tithing. They were doing all these things. But the problem is, they had lost relationship. And I, I'm glad for those that can fast seven days. But God asked the question, "What do you do on the eighth day?" Because I want to make sure me and your relationship is right. Some people do it as like they're doing their task for the week. I fasted a day. But they didn't grow in their relationship because they were not intentional. It was just um, getting their tasks to make them feel better about themselves. What we have to understand is that God is bigger than prayer. God is bigger than fasting. God is bigger than study. God is bigger than miracles. God is bigger than revival. 
God is bigger than all of that. He just shows us ways to access his presence, but never glorify a discipline uh, higher than your God. I've seen people do this. I've seen people that they pray every day. They may pray two hours a day, but they are the meanest people that you ever met. Have you ever met people like that? They, they'll speak in tongues. They'll pray. They'll, they'll roll on the floor. They'll do all this stuff. But as soon as they get up, they're gossiping. They're backbiting. They're hurting people. They're taking advantage of people. They're stealing. And they pray every day. You see, it's because they have glorified the concept of prayer over the presence of God that they think they're right because they're praying, not understanding that prayer is communication. And when you have communication with God, that means he wants to change you. As a matter of fact, there's one uh, writing uh, that uh, in the Gospels, they talk about a story where this Pharisee, he was, he said he was praying and he said, I thank my God that I'm not like this publican. And he said, I fast like this. I do like this. And the Bible says while he was praying that, the publican was smoting his chest saying, Lord, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And he said, and that person went away from prayer justified. But when you really look at it, it says that the Pharisee was praying with himself. You see, one was praying to God for mercy and the other was praying with themselves. Anytime we take the posture of pride in our disciplines, we, we are no longer praying to God. We're just praying to our flesh. We, we, are, we are glorifying our our disciplines and quote-unquote behavior modification over the transformation of the power of God. And, and th th this, is in, this is important because they're, they're casting out unclean spirits. They are healing every manner of sickness and every manner of disease. And they, they, they're not fasting. Remember John uh, John's disciples complained about this, but they have just as much authority because they are spending time with him. Relationship. Relationship trumps any, everything else. Could you imagine putting your, your spouse or your children on, on a schedule to talk with them? Hey, hey, baby, I can only talk to you from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. And okay, aren't I a great husband? I wake up early to talk to you. But I don't talk to you the rest of the day. But I, but 5 to 7, that's where you got to get your time in. I'm all for scheduling prayer. I'm all for scheduling times to speak to God. But we have to understand that we have to be available to for God to move at 5 a.m., at 10 a.m., at 7 p.m., at 11 p.m., whenever God wants to speak, we have to allow him to speak. That is the concept of relationship. And sometimes relationship is, is inconvenient to the flesh. I believe in systematic discipline, 
But we have to understand that relationship with God is the priority. And we only do these disciplines to grow in our relationship with God. But there are people that 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 fast and and they pray but they're they're not changed they've been praying the same way for the last 10 years and they're not changed their character their nature they don't love people and how do you pray every day and not love people it's because there is a block you're not allowing god to get into the crevices of your heart you're not allowing god to, to penetrate the, the deep things to search the deep things that are in your spirit you're not you're not staying on the potter's will because because relationship with god it has to take priority over everything and anybody that has heard me for any amount of time you know i believe in discipline you know i believe in that but what i'm trying to show you is that the power is not in prayer itself the power is in god the power is not in fasting itself the power is in god even in isaiah it says listen listen you're fasting but but your heart isn't with me he said is not this the fast that i have chosen he said listen you're supposed to have a posture of humility but you're doing this fasting as 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 a way to feel prideful but your heart is far from me these people draw nigh to me with their lips but their heart is far from me what 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 i'm trying to argue here is that relationship with God has to be the priority. It, it has to be, it has to be the thing that makes us tick. It has to be the thing. Sometimes a relationship with God will pull us into three hours of prayer, and other times it'll tell us to take our wife out on a date. Sometimes it'll pull us into fasting three days, other times it'll it'll tell you to spend more time with your kids. We cannot put God into these boxes. We cannot put God into these boxes. Because they're spending time with him, he starts equipping them with power. They were not expecting power, but as a byproduct of relationship, they got power. You see, some people only have a relationship, only want relationship with God to get power. They want the gifts of the spirit. They want the power of the spirit. They want to see miracles. They want to see that. But but when they see it, all of a sudden, the, the miracles, the result becomes God over the relationship with God. Are you getting what I'm saying? The destination becomes God instead of God allowing God to be God. Everything has to revolve around his presence. Uh, another uh, point where it's mentioning this same passage, it says the first thing that he commanded them before he sent them out is that he commanded them to be with him. That, that's the first art of ministry. That's the first call of ministry, that, that before he sends you out, he commands, he ordained them, and he commanded them to be with him. That is the requirement for powerful ministry to make an impact in the world. It is our proximity to the vine. Our proximity of the vine to the vine dictates our fruit. And so 
gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these, the first Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the publican, the tax collector, uh, James, the son of Alphaeus, um, and Lebeus, whose surname is Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now, all of these disciples are, are very different. They're from different backgrounds. But notice the shift because in verse 1, it, it calls them the 12 disciples. In verse 2, it calls them the 12 apostles. Now, you're seeing the progression here. We talked about a multitude as a disorganized crowd. And a disciple is one that takes on and lives out the teachings of their rabbi. Uh, that is a disciple. Now, uh, an apostle is one that is sent out by the teacher to propagate the, uh, the teachings of the teacher. Uh, so, so the, the, the disciples went, went from multitudes uh, to disciples to apostles. Uh, the word apostle just literally means to be sent. Now they're being sent out to preach the kingdom of heaven. Uh, verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. So he commands them, he says, listen, uh, it's not the Gentiles' time yet. I'm going to be reaching the Gentiles. It's not their time. I want you to go, uh, verse 6, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And see, remember, Matthew is writing to these Jews, so he's highlighting this. What he's highlighting is, is that Jesus came to them first. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And he, he is persuading them that this was for them, like this is the fulfillment of everything that they have been waiting for. And, and, and he prioritized them before the Samaritans and the Gentiles. And as you go preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, look at the continuation of the mission. John preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus preaches, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now the disciples take the same mission of their teacher and begin to propagate the same message. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely have you received, freely give. He says, listen, no one can purchase this. I freely give it to you. No one, no one could say that I owe them this power. I freely give it to you. And because I freely give it to you, I'm expecting you to freely give it to others. Um, in, in the kingdom, the, the, the poor get the opportunity to, to know him. Everyone has an equal chance opportunity to, to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
He says, verse 9, provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. So basically what Jesus is telling them is saying, this is, this is a, a small-scale mission. I, I don't want you to be gone for a long time. I don't want you to get all your luggage together like you're going to be gone for months and months. This is just a small mission. This is a glimpse this is just a glimpse of what you guys are going to be doing when I when I die and uh, I'm buried and rise again, and and I ascend into uh, into heaven. I'm giving you a little glimpse of what you're going to be doing. Uh, Jesus is a masterful teacher because what teachers do is that they they allow their students to get their feet wet, where they're not bearing the full responsibility yet, but they're getting a taste of what it's like in preparation for the teacher to be gone. And into whatsoever city or town ye enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. So he said, if you come into a house where they're worthy, he says, stay there until the mission's done. He He's saying, don't go from, you know, house to house, you know, because someone could offer you a better living condition or anything like that. Whoever receives you, he says, stay there until the mission's accomplished. When you come into the house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, Shake off the dust off your feet. Now, it was a very popular Jewish thing that they did when they came into contact with Gentiles. When they came into contact with Gentiles, they are are pagans. They would dust their feet off. Uh, They they would dust their feet off. um, And they they would, uh, after leaving a Gentile region, uh, they would they would dust their feet off because they, they didn't want to be dirty or muddied by uh, the paganism of the Gentiles. But now Jesus is saying, you're going to preach to the Jews, but whoever doesn't receive the message that you're carrying, he said, shake off the dust of your, off your shoes. He says, because it's as if they're pagans. What a shift. These are, these are people... These are the people of God. These are the ones that have received the oracles of God. But he said, if they're not receiving my message, he says, shake off the dust off your feet. It's as if you entered into Gentile territory. It is as if you entered into pagan territory. And remember what happened whenever um, John the Baptist was baptizing these people into repentance. Remember it was only common for the pagans and the Gentiles to get baptized and to convert to Judaism. But John was converting uh, uh, the Jews. It, this is a newness. This is a, this is a profound thing that's happening. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now he's saying, listen, these Jews are bad off if they do not 
receive this message. They're worse off than Sodom and Gomorrah. Because, because they, they have an opportunity of responsibility. And where, and where there is responsibility, when God is giving revelation the way he is giving, that the responsibility that we have is to receive that revelation. When God is when God is opening the windows of heaven, um, um, the way <clears throat> He's opening the windows of heaven, we have a responsibility to respond to what He is doing. And so these people are rejecting not just another prophet; they're rejecting God in the flesh. But but but. Jesus is teaching his disciples. He is instructing them on how to carry the mission. He is giving them a glimpse. He, he is giving them a glimpse of what is to come and how a byproduct of carrying the message is the possibility of that message being rejected. When your message is rejected, don't, don't lose confidence in your message. Just go on to the next place. Just go on to the next place. I think I have time to go um, a, a little bit deeper. Uh, let's go to verse 16. Let's go to verse 16. <coughs> verse uh, 16 let's see I want to get it for you in ESV behold I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, be not anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And that is verse 16 through 20. Now, he is warning of the persecution that's going to come with carrying this message, not, not just in this small thing, but, but for later. He said there's going to be persecution, but you have to be wise, have uh, uh, wisdom, but also uh, have innocence. Be harmless as a dove, meaning you have wisdom, but not wisdom in a way to get revenge, but wisdom and still being harmless, uh, avoiding an attack, but still being harmless, moving with grace. You don't hear a snake coming. You don't hear a dove coming. Uh, be be as, as, as wise as a serpent, but be as harmless as a dove. 
use use wisdom while you're doing ministry. He says that that they're going to deliver you up to councils. They will scourge you in their synagogues. He's he's prophesying to them what's going to happen to them after they he ascends into heaven. You're going to be brought before governors and kings for my sake to, as a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But he says, but when that happens, don't think about what you're going to say because it's going to be giving you in that same hour what you shall speak for it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. And and I want to stop. Uh, I want to stop right there. Uh, because this is how I want to wrap this up in in the, in the realm of application. He is admonishing the disciples. They're not going to endure that type of resistance now, but he is placing a seed in their mind for whenever he is not with them. He wants to remember them to remember the possibility of persecution. But he says, listen, but when you're going through persecution, don't analyze what you're going to say. Don't analyze what you're going to say, how you're going to say it. Maybe if I say this, maybe I'll say this. Remember, he just said that you're going to be as wise as serpents. But 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 in persecution, it's the place that 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 even uh, wisdom ceases and you've got to get into the spirit because the bottom line is our our doctrine is not in the craftiness of tongue, but it is in the demonstration of the spirit. As Paul said, I come not to you with the, the enticing words of man's wisdom, but I came to you in the demonstration of the spirit. The bottom line is with these disciples going out to do the mission of God, they can go with the full confidence is that God is going to speak through them. And anytime someone starts persecuting, uh, God is going to fill their mouth with what to say while they're being persecuted as a testimony unto the world. When you are working for God, don't be afraid um, of the persecution that comes. You have to believe that God is going to speak through you. You have to believe that you have been equipped by God, that you have been endued by God, that you have been empowered by God, that you have been transformed by God. Matthew is showing a heavenly factor here in the disciples' mission, that they're not just going to preach of their own accord, but they're going with the strength of his presence and the more that they persecute him, the more authority they're going to speak with. And we would see this in the book of Acts when Peter said, we can't help but speak the things which we have seen and we have heard. Verse 21, and the brother shall deliver up the brother to death and the father the child and the child shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endured to the end, the same shall be saved. He's saying, listen, what's going to happen with this message is that there's going to be division in the family. Uh, there's, going, there's going to be, and he even said it at one point. He said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to divide. I came to make you choose. You're going to serve me or you're going to serve the world. And when there's a dividing factor like that, even in families, there can be tension 
and people betraying one another because this message has gotten to the importance where he said, I want you to love me more than you love your spouse. I want you to love me more than you love your kids. And he said, if you can't love me like that, you're not worthy of me. What a dividing message. What a, what a sword he makes you choose. No, no standing on, on, on the edge. But he makes you choose. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. He's talking about the necessity of long-suffering and endurance when doing the mission of God. They have the privilege of carrying his name, but there will be some hate on the journey. Remember, greatness and being liked are not synonymous terms. Jesus was great, but that doesn't mean he was liked. Greatness is very common for greatness to be crucified. It's very common for people to not appreciate greatness until it's passed on. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another for verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master and nor the servant above his Lord. Verse 24. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Now, what Matthew is showing is that, listen, you Jews that are persecuting these Christians, you're no different than what was happening during the time Jesus walked the earth. And what he's showing is the, the holiness that, that, is, that is tied to rejection. He's saying, listen, you're, you're just doing to him what you did to Jesus. And you're just doing to the disciples what you did to Jesus. You're casting the disciples in prisons. You're throwing them into the synagogues. You're flogging them. But what he's saying here is, is that Jesus endured the same thing and the disciples are not above their master. That if Jesus suffered, then we, we will have some suffering. Verse 26, fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in the light. And what you hear in the ear, that preach ye among the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy soul and body in hell. Now he's showing the, the sovereign aspect of, of the mission and how... God is in control and we have to answer to God more than we answer to man that we cannot be controlled by peer pressure, that we cannot be controlled by what people think about us, 
that we, we answer to a higher authority. We, we answer to something bigger than ourselves. He said, do not fear anybody that's able to destroy the body. They can't kill your soul. And so when your body is persecuted, make sure your soul is still accountable to God. That I'm not going to dis that I'm not going to discharge this mission or throw this mission away. I'm going to I'm going to fulfill the mission. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Verse 31. In this mission, although the disciples are going out two by two and they're going out to do ministry, there is a reminder that they are not going alone. It's a reminder that they're not going by themselves. It's a reminder that his eye is on the sparrow and, and he's also watching over them, that their hairs are numbered. That, that he is sovereign, that if they get afflicted, that God is watching intently. Matthew is showing a God factor here. That, that is really difficult for people to grasp and to understand in that time. That all of the disciples, the apostles, Jesus were all functioning in accordance with a great plan that was woven from Genesis 1. Whoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, him also will I de deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Think about that. The Prince of Peace saying that I didn't even come to send peace but I came to bring a sword. You know why he didn't come to send peace? He is peace. But peace has a sword in its hand. Peace does not mean compromise. Peace does not mean peace. A peacemaker doesn't mean that you are uh, compromising your values or your integrity to make sure there's no conflict. Peace says, I'm, I'm, I'm coming from a place of peace, but but. But I'm coming with a sword. You're going to have to choose. Look what he says in verse 35. This is so interesting. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He said, some of your greatest enemies are going to just be in your own house. People that don't want you to pray. People that don't want you to go to church. People that don't want you worshiping God. Because they feel that they're being treated second place to God. And that is a good thing. 
Jesus has to be the first and foremost in everything. And when I gave up uh, college basketball to follow Jesus, man, the type of resistance I faced was unbelievable. But he said, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth the prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth the righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward and whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple verily i say unto you he shall in no wise lose his reward that is the whole chapter of chapter 10 he says don't be afraid preach don't be afraid be about your father's business. Don't be afraid whenever your mom turns on you uh, because they don't want you serving God or, or, or someone turns on you that's a part of your family. He said, endure unto the end because this is a kingdom priority. This is bigger than what man can endorse or what man can put his stamp of approval on. This is something that only comes from God. And I, I want to remind you in this chapter that, that there are things that only come from God that man cannot manipulate, that man cannot fabricate, that man cannot do in his own accord. But this is a kingdom thing, and kingdom things are bigger than earthly things. The first Adam was of the earth, earthy, but the second Adam is the Lord from heaven. And we see now him presenting the concept of taking up the cross, living in self-denial, not allowing family to compromise you. Isn't it amazing whenever you get saved and how uh, family will try to bring you back into what you used to be? You used to drink. And so you go to a family gathering and they say, hey, hey, go ahead. I, we brought some drinks for you. And you know that they're going to be offended if you say no. They set you up. But you say no, and then all of a sudden there's friction, isn't there? You rather have friction and have peace with God than to have peace with man and friction with God. And the Bible says that in Romans 8 that the carnal mind is enmity against God. That the word enmity... It's a it's a unique Greek word because every time it's used in uh, the Septuagint and in the classical Greek enmity, it, the Greek word it, it, it literally is to reflect an enemy. You see, enmity 
when it says that the carnal mind is enmity against God, it's supposing that the carnal mind is hostile toward God, where it's just uh, coming from earth to heaven, that the carnal mind is enmity. It is hostile against God, but it doesn't really convey what, what the writer is talking about because when you look at the depth of the Greek word there, the depth of the Greek word there is literally saying uh, that the carnal mind is the enemy of God. That 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 the our carnal mind is not only hostile to God, but in turn God is hostile to us. That's why it says that the spirit and the flesh they are contrary to one another. That 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 there is a friction. That there is. That, that there is a friction. We have to walk in the spirit and we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Said said if you're trying to make your life better, you're gonna lose it. But if you start if you start using your time for my kingdom, you're gonna find your life. Giving up basketball. Uh, was one of the greatest decisions I ever made because I stopped living for myself. That's what I'm going to challenge everyone listening to this podcast is don't live for yourself, live for Jesus. And when you live for Jesus, you're going to live for other people to help them. Everyone likes to quote the scripture in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but no one likes to quote that scripture in 1 John 3.16, where it says that as Christ laid down his life for us, even so we should lay down our lives for one another. You need a cause. You need a cause that's bigger than self. You know, one of the reasons why we struggle with depression is because we're too much in our own head. We're not helping anybody. We're just concerned about ourselves. I'm telling you, you will be fulfilled when you start reaching people and helping people and loving people, and pouring into people, you will be fulfilled when you do that. You will be fulfilled when you do that. These disciples were given instructions, and it literally is the burden of the mission to recognize God and recognize that there's going to be opposition. And let, let, let me tell somebody, listen here, anything that you try to do for God, there's always going to be opposition. But can you think of a good book without any opposition? What makes a classic a classic is there has to be a problem somewhere. Can you imagine a masterpiece without a problem? It, it is the problem that helps create the masterpiece. Could you imagine uh, a book or are, 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 are um, uh, a masterful classic or a drama? Could you imagine Shakespeare without tragedy? Uh, it's a boring book. You wouldn't even want to listen to it. It, it. it is the trouble that, 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 makes, that makes it valuable. It is it is the gold that's tried in fire that 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 bears forth that purity.
you, 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 take a pro, you take problems out of David's life and, he, and he's just a shepherd. But you put those problems uh, back in his life and he's a king. You take, you, you take the, the pit out of Joseph's life and he's just a dreamer. You put it back into his life and, and he's second in command to Pharaoh. Every, every hero's story has a tragedy and opposition somewhere. And I'm telling you, when you're walking with the Lord, there's going to be opposition. But I'm telling you, if you keep going forward, God is weaving a beautiful masterpiece He's making a fabric of a beautiful masterpiece in your life. So don't get discouraged when some family don't understand. Don't get discouraged when friends don't understand. Let me tell you, stop waiting on your friends to get on board before you do something for God. What are you going to do if they never get on board? But but what you say is, well, I don't want to lose them. If I if I really obey God, I'm going to lose lose my friends. Well, well, those are some friends that you should lose. It's a part of the process. It's just a part of it. It's a, it's a part of it. Choosing Jesus to be preeminent above all things, it puts every relationship into its proper context. It puts every relationship into its proper context. You can love your spouse better. You can love your kids better. You can do your ministry better whenever Jesus is the first and foremost. He has to be preeminent in our lives. And he's telling the disciples to go on this mission with, with God consciousness. That, that what they're doing is matters, that this isn't just happenstance. This isn't just, uh, this, this isn't just a run of the mill. Just like this has, this bears eternal significance. God consciousness. And so Matthew puts this, puts this chapter here to highlight the dangers, the persecutions, and the environment that they are given this gospel in. To be sheep among, in the midst of wolves. Then he says, don't even fear. Don't even be afraid. He says, don't even be afraid. He said, just speak. Be who I've created you to be, whether the world accepts it or not, whether family accepts it or not, whether friends accept it or not. Be what God has created you to be. It's unique because we're, we're moving, we ha we're hastening to uh, Matthew 16 where everything changes, but we go through a few discourses and we watch as it goes from popularity to persecution what he preaches to the disciples, he actually lives in his own life. He's about to go through a bunch of persecution. But notice, you're going to notice in the persecution that the mission keeps going forward and the mission keeps growing and the mission keeps expanding. When God opens a door, no man can shut it. When God opens a door, no man can shut it.
when God opens a door, no man can shut it. Pray this was a blessing to you. I'll see you tomorrow.